Welcome to the Monsters of Fantasy. This was written, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Sean McCarter. Monsters of Fantasy is a production in which I will explore the truly horrific side of the fantasy world known as Dungeons and Dragons. There are content warnings in the show notes below. Episode 23, The Dryad. Hello? Can you hear me? I'm filling in this week for Kesvar. Nico said he went out to do some field research. I don't understand why he took me out of artifacts to do this week's statement. There are still countless artifacts to identify, price, and catalog. Last week I found a sword that I'm pretty sure was sentient, but when I turned around to grab Daisy, it vanished. Pretty sure it got up and just walked away. For what it's worth, I'm Luna, and I'll be reading today's story. I picked this one out because I felt that a lot of these entries have been a bit... monstrous. I wanted to pick something a bit more elegant in nature. Here's a story about a dryad from Eleanor Leandor. I'm going to be honest with you, kid. You were close to losing your head back there. Not every day someone has the gall to go around asking for me with such an authoritative tone. Especially with all those stupid fucking questions. You didn't see it, but before you mentioned Warren's name, an unseen servant of mine had a dagger to your throat. Look, I'm a busy lady with a busy shop. I'll give you the story, but don't go thinking I'll give away all my secrets now. Let's just say I was restrained at the time and was being escorted from the Lucien Forest to Voron by a few of the king's men. Who they were and why I was there wasn't really that important now. I just happened to get caught up in a few affairs with a couple of old acquaintances, and the fine gentlemen who had come to escort me back from the elven cities were just making sure I got back in one piece. So much so that they insisted my weapons be confiscated, me stripped to my small clothes, feet and wrists shackled, as well as gagged. I promise you the king's men did not mean me harm and were keeping my best interest at heart. I never even got their names, truthfully. I was having a small dip in the lake out deep in the forest, and when I went to go dry myself, I had found most of my clothes missing and quite a few arrowheads sticking from the canopies. I did try running at first, but that was because of a misunderstanding. Once the king's fine guards informed me of the situation, I obliged. So I promise you, if you're asking about this story on behalf of the king, I had no say in the death of those two knights. I've told the story as I told him the second time he requested my audience. I was gagged and restrained, with six of his golden armored soldiers leading the party, and six more behind me. It was our third day of walking through the forest, and we were still about two or three hours from making camp. The light was starting to dwindle through the thick canopies of long, thin aspen trees. And like always, nature was moving and alive around us. The soft rustling of the wind, the patter of tiny paws, beats of wings off in the distance. Most of the disturbances never bothered me, but gods forbid a fox takes a piss or one of these kingly men might cower in their boots. I could never really tell what a sound was because I was gagged, but I think the stifled laughing and rolling of my eyes got the point across. 
Sure, it earned me a few bruises, but who couldn't laugh at someone jumping because of the sound of rutting deer? But those were just the normal sounds. The elven woods, also home to many fae, do have some stranger, more frightening sounds. Like the first night we made camp, a yeth pack had found some poor prey off in the distance, and for hours all you could hear were the distant howls and groans of the fae wolf. But this time, when the crunching of leaves caused my captors to jump, I couldn't help but feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up as well. In a heartbeat, the air had almost turned warm and inviting, like a hug. All the while, the clang of steel being drawn deafened the chirps of the birds. I didn't panic right away. These men could very well have been reacting to a warm breeze, so I instead did the only thing I can do. I started observing my surroundings. Off in the distance, I could see branches that looked to be moving with the wind, shaking loose leaves into the air. Directly in front of our path, about 80 yards in front of the first man, I saw two twisted white tree trunks that seemed to be hugging each other in a large archway. A large... door. My heart started racing a bit, but that didn't necessarily mean anything. There were plenty of inactive doors to the Fey world, and the one in front of us surely wasn't glowing. I sat there for three or four heartbeats, just staring at the archway, making sure the gate hadn't had some faint aura to it. And then I saw her face, a beautiful pastel of green, brushed by the colors of autumn. She smiled at me and gave me a wink, with her head dipping behind the tree. The men behind me were spitting curses, saying they too saw faces off in the distance. When the captain of the guard, who was leading the party, shouted that he saw something and pointed in the complete opposite direction, chaos almost broke loose. But before the men could panic, I heard a soft voice whisper in the wind. It whispered words in the ancient tongue of elves. To me, it was clear as day, but to the men around me, I saw the confused looks as Sylvan touched their ears. Why are you taking this child from us? A long, slender, bark-skinned dryad stepped out of the tree right next to me, her face peeling out of the trunk. This one does not seem like she has consented, said another voice from the front of the party. All around us, more dryads were stepping from their homes and out into the clearing. They moved and danced gracefully as if the wind blew them towards the soldiers. They all started speaking together in the ancient tongue. We do not wish to cause you harm, humans. Just leave these woods without the girl, and Lazaran will let you live. The words came through the air like melting honey, and I could feel them working their magic. All but two of them dropped their weapons. I felt my restraint slip away from my mouth and hands as the one behind me slid her hands down my neck and back. The ones who had dropped their weapons started to walk away, right past the very creatures they feared with glossed over eyes. Two of the armored men started shouting at their friends who were abandoning them, still brandishing their weapons. They rushed at the dryad behind me, but before they could make it more than two steps, vines started wrapping around their legs, pinning them to the spot. More vines shot out from the canopies and restricted their sword arms. Then, from almost out of the very wind itself, stepped a man. 
A fay, not a dryad or nymph or half-elf, but a living arch-fay. I fell back squirming as the long, slender humanoid strode towards the restrained men. He was wearing a long, flowing tunic that seemed to be made of emerald light. His hair was pulled back and tied into a bun, but it wasn't the color of fire, nor autumn, nor amber. It was shifting between every hue of yellow and red almost at once. His eyes were deep black pits that stretched to the sides of his angular face. His skin was almost an iridescent white, transparent, and below through every vein I saw the flow of magic. The two men screamed in terror at the sight of this beautiful being. Vines started to crawl up their bodies and started choking out their horror. As effortlessly as it took this creature to stride just 30 feet to the two bound men, had the magic in the plants exploded and caused the vines to quickly encase the individuals, obscuring them and their whimpers. The vines kept stretching upwards into the sky as they solidified. The fleshy green became hard and textured. The wide base that was once two kneeling men had rapidly grown into tree trunks. Lips not moving, he spoke to me. Fear not, blood of thine blood. These men can never hurt anyone again. He placed a gentle palm on the trunks of one of them. The dryad started to sing and dance chanting into the air like a whisper, Lazaran, Lazaran, Lazaran. End of story. I know I picked a rather short one first, but I was nervous. It was a statement from the previous researcher, Dominic. I had found it while cleaning out his stuff back when Kesvar and I first started here. And I remember this odd thing that Nico had said. If there's a story, there can be an entry. So I chose this one that features the Dryad. They're some of my favorite monsters alongside many of the other Fae. They have this unparalleled connection with the Arcane, something many of us wizards have spent years trying to replicate. But I think this is the part where they go over the statistics and the attributes of the monster. So, Physiology. Dryads are the spirits of fey creatures who have been trapped on the mortal plane by a more powerful fey. Sometimes this is done as a punishment, but has been seen as a form of worship. When the spirit of the fey is trapped within the trees of our world, their magic binds them to that spot forever, almost like a guardian. The spirit may leave the tree in a form of humanoid, similar to what we saw in the story usually favoring elvish or archfey features. These spirits can only travel so far from their anchor. The stronger the spirit is, the further they may go. Most average a few miles from their true homes. If their true home, the tree they were bound to, dies, the spirit does not die. Rather, they stay bound to the remains of the dead tree as vengeful spirits. To efficiently kill the dryad, you must kill both the spirit and the tree. Weaknesses and resistances. Dryads are again the lowest ranking of fey spirits and possess no real weakness or resistance save one. Their innate ability to shrug off most magical effects as all the fey can. 
But that innate magic, even from a lesser fae, is not something to mess around with. Attacks and Abilities Dryads are fae bound with nature, so it's no surprise their magic is expressed through nature. They are able to cast spells unrestricted by the restraints of components or words. Like in the story, we saw that they can command the plants around them to act as restraints and grapple their foes, but their command of plants is very extensive. They can make plants that heal whoever eats them, they can cause bark-like skin to grow over their own skin-like armor, and most incredible of all, they can walk through trees and use them as teleportation anchors. By walking through one tree, a dryad can then emerge from any other tree within its vicinity as effortlessly as you walk through a door. They do have the ability to enchant sticks and clubs to wield them as weapons, but dryads don't typically fight like that. They'd rather use their fae charm instead of fighting. The last thing the dryad has is its fae charm. Not just its good looks, but an actual manipulation of the mind. Using suggestive charms weaved into their speech, they can convince people to be their friends and do as they say. The trick works best on animals and beasts, but it has been known to work on humans. Once you have become aware of the charm, like most others, you gain resistance to it and can't be as easily tricked. <sighs> I guess that's it. Wasn't so bad. I feel oddly tired, like I need a nap. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at MonstersOf underscore for news and updates on the show. We finally get to hear a story from another of the researchers, Luna. Filling in while Kesvar is out gathering a field statement. But don't worry, Kesvar will be back next week with a story about the dredge, told from within Merlin's Manor. Thank you for listening. Until next time.